Hi, I'm Pete Seligman. Welcome to the Next Step Podcast. In this season, we're going to be focusing on search, search funds, entrepreneurship through acquisition, and all things related to that community and that ecosystem, particularly focusing on how can we build the marketplace in Australia and start to encourage more searchers to come to market and get to the point where they can own, operate their own business. Today, I had the pleasure of speaking to Steve Ressler. He's an entrepreneur with three exits already under his belt and a very experienced investor and advisor in the search fund space, having backed over 30 searches and have followed on into over 30 individual acquisitions in the small business space in America. It was a really interesting conversation because, first of all, Steve has come from a startup background into the search space, and it's always interesting to hear about both ends of the spectrum. You know, a lot of people come from either big corporate or big consulting or private equity or private investment into search. But there are also people that come from the other end of the risk spectrum from the startup end. As Steve said himself, didn't really love the idea of the kind of one in 10 risk profile that you get in the startup space and wanted something with a bit more certainty. And so moving along that risk profile into the search space, yet still having that kind of founder entrepreneur backed process that you end up with in search is something that really attracted him to the model. So I use this opportunity to ask Steve a lot about the the investor's perspective. You know, what do investors look for in a good searcher? What do searchers typically learn during their search phase and into their operation phase? And try to really just get some insight from his experience that might be able to help any people that are thinking about coming to search and the ways in which they can test whether or not it might be a good fit for him, for them, but also put in place for themselves some of those things that they can continue to learn about to give themselves the best chance of success as they kick off their search. I hope you enjoy it. G'day, Steve. How are you going? I think it's evening for you, morning for me. How's your day been? It's great. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, not a problem. You know, as we were saying before I hit the record button, part of this podcast series that I'm doing is really to try and give some insights to people thinking about becoming a searcher as to what are the things they need to consider. And so with your experience from that investor lens, I think is going to be really, really super valuable for people to listen to because, you know, whether it be the insights for them as to what makes a good searcher or the insights for them in terms of what are investors looking for, I think that'll be really, really helpful. So thanks for your time today. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So to get things started, can you give us like a, I won't say 60 second, it can be a bit longer than that, but give us a little bit of a pricey on kind of what your kind of history has been and and then kind of from that, how you rolled into getting involved a little bit in search. Sure. No, happy to. Yeah. So I'm, I'm from the States. I'm originally from Ohio and right out of undergrad, I went to University of Pennsylvania for grad school under a government scholarship. And I ended up working in government in the US for five years in technology and enjoyed that a lot. And eventually had an idea to start a website for government employees that was basically the mini LinkedIn for government employees, a social network for employees to connect. And we bootstrapped and grew that business and eventually sold it to a software company, Gov Delivery, which was more or less the MailChimp or an Australia campaign monitor. We'll do a shout out. Mm-hmm. Emails and text messages for 4,000 government entities. And we grew that from seven to 40 million ARR. Wow. And I was the CMO and had a bunch of jobs, had a blast. And we sold it to Vista Private Equity which is one of the larger private equity shops in software and was lucky enough to be the CMO of a GovTech roll-up that's about 100 million ARR 
learned a ton just about how to run great software businesses. Eventually left and joined a friend in a small public safety software company called Colio. We grew that business from about two to eight and a half million in revenue and sold it to Motorola Solutions about a year ago. And so it's kind of day jobs always been software, government, private equity. And then I'd done some investor lens. I'd always loved investing, whether that was just growing up kind of index fund guy and then Buffett and Munger. Hmm. And then eventually I'd done some startup investing and kind of your background and either GovTech, where I have a background, or in Washington, D.C., where I'm now based, and love backing, supporting entrepreneurs. Did not love the kind of nine strikeouts for one grand slam math or sorry for the bad uh, sports analogy, but eventually found search and just it clicked in my brain. So it, it feels like private equity where you're buying great businesses or, or value investing at great businesses at fair prices, but it also feels like entrepreneurship. So you're, you're backing, supporting entrepreneurs that are often for the first time being a CEO and transforming a company. And Basically jumped into search investing five, six years ago, eventually started as an LP investing in search fund of funds, and then started investing directly. And I invest with a buddy in DC, Alex Mears, who's Carlisle Bain, kind of large cap private equity guy, but also with a military background. And we've uh, invested in about 30 searchers in the traditional sense and have invested about 30 deals, whether traditional, self-funded, and independent sponsor about half in the U.S. and about half internationally. And uh, it's been a ton of fun and it's just a, a wonderful community that I'm lucky to be a part of. Yeah, wow. So that's obviously that last little bit around the volume that you've managed to get access to and be involved with is amazing. So, you know, you've seen a wide spectrum of examples of what search might look like through that process. It's also interesting because you effectively, the, the early part of that story is very much so startup you know, like that, that's kind of was where you came from really with that startup lens. And a lot of people come to search from lots of different angles, right? They might come from consulting or they might come from big corporate or they might come from private equity or business investing. It's also interesting that people also come from the other end of the risk spectrum from startup into search. Because like you say, it's a bit of bit of both, right? It's a, it's a yep. bit entrepreneurial startup and it's a bit kind of private investing, private equity type, traditional value investing type process. And so it's good to see that we get people coming to the community from both ends of that risk spectrum so that we're not just kind of over indexed to one end or the other. What's been your experience in dealing with other co-investors in the search space around all those different backgrounds? Yeah, I'd say on the on the investing side, there's kind of different investing and searcher. On the investing yeah. side, I'd say there's a group of folks that are long-term search investors. So mm. uh, why I've done a lot, there's a lot of people that have done five, 10, 20 times more than me, have done it mm. for 30 years, especially in kind of out of Stanford and Harvard. And so those have been just kind of classic investors. Some of them had businesses 30, 40 years ago. Some are just great investors, guys like Will Thorndike, who runs Housatonic, wrote the book Outsiders. It's a classic, great search investors. I'd say currently, then you have another group that are, are former searchers. So they, they were in the US kind of searchers five, seven, 10 years ago and had success. And now they invest and they could be investing while still running a company. They could be investing full time. They could be investing, buying their own businesses. And that's the second group. And then I'd say there's a group that I would say kind of professional search fund investors, and they're either kind of mini private equity funds, groups like, you know, Footbridge Partners, WSC, Pacific Lake, there's Anna Kappa, there's probably 10 to 15, or family offices like a, a Miramar or a Hallstatt that 
are investing in this search asset class. And so that's kind of how I'd, I'd break it out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that last group in particular, for me, when, uh, you know, in Australia, we're still relatively immature from a search fund perspective, particularly in the traditional sense. And so that that investor network is something that we're we're working hard to build to get more and more investors interested in the asset class. And I've always thought that the family office is a great investor for search because quite often those family offices have built their own wealth by owning and operating businesses. Yeah. So there's there's a natural empathy there for what that searcher is about to go through. Have you found a similar thing with the family offices you've co-invested with as well? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of the family office kind of come from, you know, a first generation that kind of entrepreneur who made the money and they're, they're interested in investing in businesses. So one of them, uh, Linium Farms, I've talked to and been on some tables lately. She's a great entrepreneur. I recently sold her business. It was actually a mobile, I think, dentistry business and just fantastic entrepreneur, a great success. And, you know, she sees search as a great asset class investor, but also to give back. And so I, I think there, there's that, there's kind of first generations where actually the, the entrepreneur is, is investing kind of closer to myself. And there's others that are more larger kind of professional family offices where there's full-time staff that are not part of the family that are the ones kind of deploying the capital. Yeah. And so, but yeah, it's, a, it's a, a great community of folks investing and the nature of search, which is fun versus private equity is it's, it's a, it's a team sport. Yeah. So in private equity, there's one investor takes down the whole deals and while I might like you, Pete, it's like, I want to win the deal yeah. and, and and own the whole thing. What's neat about search, the nature of the model is there's 10 to 14 people on a cap table and we're doing it all together, which I think this is a neat part of the model where it's very collaborative. And then it's also very, um, I think it builds on itself. So if, mm. if you're a good a steward and good to your searchers and good to other investors, you'll want to be included in more deals and people will refer and if, you know, honestly, if you're uh, not good either, right, if you too, if the elbows are too sharp or you're not good to the entrepreneurs, word gets around too. So I like that kind of close-knit nature and community nature to the investing class, which is not the same in all asset classes. It's amazing actually how, not only how that culture has lasted over so many years since Search was founded, but also how that culture has managed to replicate itself in so many regions globally. Like yeah. you would have thought that if the model had gone to different parts of the world, that some of those kind of regional cultures would have impacted the asset class culture for want of a better term. But it feels like whether you're speaking to someone in Spain, South America, North America, Australia, Asia, wherever, that kind of, I guess I guess it's almost like that sense of abundance rather than like deficiency is there is going to be there regardless of which region you end up in. Yeah, no, and that's, I mean, I give kudos to kind of the the OGs kind of who, who kind of created the model and really supported that because I've seen that because I've invested in deals in Brazil and Spain and Eastern Europe and uh, Western Europe. And it's very collaborative. Uh, what you'll find is usually these international deals will have some local champions, you know, like in Canada, there's groups like, you know, Sage and Snowden that are kind of the Canadian champions. Mm. And so when international folks in, we'll do it collaboratively or kind of as you're doing in mm. Australia and other folks, you know, Second Squared and Jake mm. at SMB yep. Ventures, others, there's, there's always kind of local champions working collaboratively with international peers in Brazil, there's Spectra and Khabib. Yeah. So it's, it's been fun, but it, it's, uh, as you said, it's, it's great how it's, it's gone internationally and kept that culture. 
Yeah, fantastic. So changing tax slightly now to kind of kind of extract from you some of those yeah. those pearls of wisdom we can for the searchers that are out there thinking about coming to market, trying to think exactly where to start. But you know, when you're you've looked at lots of searches. So there's two angles ultimately I want to take at this. And so I'll I'll start with one and then I'll move to the other, obviously. So basically what I want to work out at the moment is when a new searcher comes to you and you meet them for the first time and they're talking about what they want to do and this kind of search they want to run and what their background is and all that kind of thing, what are the handful of things that you're typically looking for to try and determine whether or not this person's going to have a successful time being a searcher? Yeah, so I think you'll find this with a lot of investors. That's a good lens to think through. I think most investors kind of, there's three clear parts to the search. There's deal sourcing, can they find a deal? There's uh, closing the deal. Hey, can you actually, once you get it, if you're fishing, you got it on the hook, can you close it and get the bankers and the negotiations? And then there's operating a business. And so investors are, are looking for people that can do all three. And you may not have all those skill sets yourself. And so maybe there's a partner, there's a complimentary, hey, we have a private equity person who, who's done sourcing and Close deals and we have an operator. Or it could be, hey, I'm, I'm one person and I'm really strong on X, but I, I, here's how I'm going to fill out Y. Mm. And so I think as you're presenting yourself, understanding the three parts of the search and where you're strong and weak and also how you're going to fill out your weaknesses, I think is important. I think second, investors really look for like why ETA. It's, it's a great career path. I think it's an awesome opportunity, but it is entrepreneurship. Yeah, yes, it is entrepreneurship through acquisition, but it is entrepreneurship and it has ups and downs, the high highs and low lows. And so uh, I think you want folks that, you know, maybe they've interned for a searcher, they've talked to 20 other searchers, they've listened to your podcast and others, and they really understand the model. I think sometimes there's risk where you worry, hey, is someone just saying, hey, this is the, the best risk-adjusted return to making, you know, X million dollars, or hey, you know, I really wanted X job, didn't get it, or you know, why I don't like my boss, and you know, this feels great. And so you really want folks that love ETA, they they really want to run a small business, they they know why, and then they have the the skills across those three phases, or if they don't have a path to complement themselves to get those skills. Mm, yeah, and I think that that point around. It's called ETA for a reason, you know, <laughs> it's entrepreneurial. And, and that means that there is going to be risk. There is going to be tough struggle. There is going to be opportunity cost from your own personal career path perspective in taking on that risk and going through that journey. And you want to know that people not only, I think the thing that's also interesting is you want to know that they're not only capable of swallowing that risk, but they actually enjoy it. Like, like yep. they're kind of engaged in, like that's part of what they really like about that hustle is the fact that it is going to be gritty and a bit of hard work, which I think is sometimes, you know, if it, like you say, if, if they're coming off something where this is just the next best thing as opposed to something they really want to do, then they might get burnt early in that process. Yeah. And sometimes you see that with like early, you know, maybe they're at a big P job or consulting now, but hey, they when they're a teenager that they had their own, you know, a lawn care business, or they had some kind of gritty startups on the side, or, or maybe already they, them and a buddy bought a, bought a small, I don't know, wedding flowers business that works on the site. So you're just looking for hints that they're, especially for far, folks at large organization that and on, honestly, they haven't kind of just become a big company person and mm. that they can actually handle the 
the ups and downs in of buying and running small businesses. Yeah. And so you've backed a lot of searches through the search phase and, and you've also followed along with a lot into acquisition. And maybe let's break that into those two parts, right? So, so the search phase and then the operational phase. What do you think are some of the, and this is like you sitting into the shoes of the searches that you've backed kind of, what, what yep. do you think are the lessons in the search phase that stood out for most of the people that you've backed from a search perspective? What do you think they yeah, learned yeah. that they might not have realised that was something that kind of surprised them or something that, you know, yeah, what, what, what are those things that you think that they've learned in that search phase? Yeah, I mean, and part of what's interesting about the model is, you know, when you kind of first come to search, you're like, this seems odd. Everyone's learning these things for the first time. They close it and they forget. And so there's some, you know, folks that in the U.S., they run search fund accelerators where they kind of already had those lessons and bring them in. And I think that works. But I think part, part of the beauty of search, both the raising the capital and learning how to search is, is training to being a CEO where you need to learn these skills you never had. Like, you know, when I was a CEO, I, I never learned finance. I'm a sociology major, but you know, like, I'm like, watch some YouTube videos over the weekend on how to run a PL and I'll figure it out. You know, never hired a CTO, I'll figure it out. And so I think there's some inefficiency on the model on purpose, which is kind of interesting that helps kind of groom you to solve problems. And I would say that, you know, the search on the search phase, I think there's a lot of ways to do it, right? So I've seen folks from, you know, big intern armies. I've seen folks that run, you know, a very automated, complex email marketing, 10 drip campaigns. I've seen kind of folks old school working the networks they have. And I think it all works. I think the main thing is leaning into where, what you're good at, mm -hmm. right? So if you're a data-driven kind of marketer or you've been in sales, I think that math works really well. If you're a very relationship-oriented person, you're, that's your network. I think going that approach, I think it's always helpful to build upon previous networks and success, right? So if, you're, if your background's in software and you've sold, you know, me, I'm in GovTech software, right? It makes sense. I'm going to see a lot more deals. I'm a lot more credible in that space than I am in like lawn care roll-ups, right? And so I think, you know, leveraging the skill sets you have and networks you have, I think is a key to the sourcing phase. And then I think just uh, the good folks also, you know, you got to multitask. So even when you have something on LOI, keep on going. I think that that's where I've seen some of the hiccups because it, you know, it can take three LOIs to get a deal across the finish line. So sometimes it's like it's so much work over here. You have one, you think it's perfect. And just, you know, deals are tough. If you've never run a deal. They fall apart for a variety of reasons, things most of the time you can't even control. And so being able to, to keep the machinery and deals going while you have one on the hook, I think is a, a key part on the on the sourcing part of the, the search phase. You definitely don't want to have to start from scratch again after your deal falls over and then you've got to spin the whole machine back up again yep. to get it going. Yeah, And it's hard to, and it's yeah. easy to say. I mean, they say that when selling a business, yep. always the number one tip is like focus on running your business and hit your numbers. Yeah. As someone who's sold multiple companies, that is possible when you're like <laughs> dealing with legends, you're excited about some of the company your brain's thinking about what one plus one equals three to actually focus on like closing yeah. deals right? and it, but the, but it's perfect advice right so mm. it's a classic like straightforward but hard advice it's the yes. same with search the straightforward advice is keep on searching while you get LOI, but it's really hard to do yeah, because it's such an emotional thing you get excited you start projecting yourself into that new role you start thinking about oh, what totally. you're yeah, it's very, very hard. What city are you going to move to? All that yeah. stuff. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. What house are you going to buy? Where your dog's going to go? You know, like yeah, you start thinking. It, yeah. it, it, I mean, but that's also part of the love of it, right? That it is such a, it becomes such a personal thing for you and your entire family that you can all get engaged in. It's it's interesting what you say about the struggle, about the, I think you said something like the inherent inefficiency that's almost built into the model. I really like that. I think that's true. I, I know that it's a really, even down to the very simplest starting point you know, I've had a lot of people come to me and say, look, I'm thinking about doing a search. You know, I just want to get some understanding of what it's like and whether I might be a good fit for it and that kind of thing. And actually, one of the things that works quite well is just a little bit of homework. You, you kind of say, well, I think you should read these books, listen to these podcasts yep. and maybe go and speak to a few brokers about the kinds of businesses that might suit you or do some research on verticals that you might like and come back to me in a month and let me know how you're going there'll be a certain group that'll come back in two weeks with all that stuff done. And there'll be another group that like a month or two down the track says, oh, can we have another chat? And the, the second chat's exactly the same as the first one. First chat. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, it's kind of a, it's good that it's difficult because it kind of, like you're saying, it sets you up for what the whole journey is going to look like. And it sets you up for that need to enjoy learning new things along the way and, and having that struggle. So, yeah, I think. Yeah. No, it's a, uh- and that's why I like I like the the entrepreneurship first because mm-hmm. that's actually doing some startup investing. That's the same. The best entrepreneurs, you give them advice and they come back two weeks later and you're like, "How did you accomplish that much?" Like it's just like an insane. Like some of the teams I've now yeah. partnered with invest, and you're like, "Man, they just but you know this is their love. They're going eighty hours a week at it." Yeah. And then there's others you're like, you talk to them three months later and you're like. I feel like nothing's changed yeah. and, yeah. you know, and so that getting better, the classic, like 1% better every day compounds, I think mm-hmm. is true for all, all types of entrepreneurship, whether entrepreneurship startups or ac- through acquisition. Mm. So one other thing that I think it'd be interesting just to talk about also from an investor perspective is the way in which you work with co-investors as an investor in in a, in a search and then also an investor in a search acquired business. Like you say, you've got, you know, maybe 10 to 15 co-investors sitting in there on the register with you. And quite often, each one of those investors will have different backgrounds themselves. You know, some of them will be, you know, potentially institutional investors that are fund of funds. Others might be just individuals. Others might be family office. Others might be ex-search. Others might be professional investor, all sorts of a whole range of people. How have you seen kind of those groups in each instance, either deliberately or just by the passage of time, develop their cadence with each other? And how have you seen the searcher manage that? You know, like I imagine that they're are searches that say, I've got 15 people on my register, but there's those three people that actually I'd like to speak to lots. There's those people that actually don't want to speak to me anyway because they just want to be passive. And there's a group in the middle, you know, how have you seen that that kind of, it's a little bit like herding cats, you know, how do you, how does the searcher think about that dynamic? You know, the number one thing I think there's having some regular cadence. Some most searchers do a monthly or quarterly update. And I think you, you give that to everyone, right? And that's kind of a classic. What themes are you focused on? Some data is on touch point LOIs and then where you need help too. So always um and that and that feels once again like a startup investor update. Monthly yeah. what's quarterly. The ask? Yeah. And yeah. what's the ask? And I think that's the core. And then I think you quickly early on want to figure out when you talk to your investors. What's their bandwidth? And what are they interested in? And some, and some investors will say, hey, call me when you got something under an LOI and I'll dive in. 
Hmm. And there's other investors and I'm pretty open on my time. And I say, hey, send me a text, send me a what, what's up. If you want to grab five minutes just to walk through a, a deal when you're on IOI, I'm happy to do it. It's hmm. fun for me. And so I think learning who those investors are across different types and leveraging them at that time. And there's just different skill sets and different pattern recognition folks. Um, I think part of the beauty of search is you'll, you'll find investors and they'll be like, oh, I was part of an access control and security camera business that was acquired in Cote d'Ivoire, the NCAD grad. I'm, I'm also in two other access control and security camera businesses where yeah. I can say, hey, I can give you my nuggets, but actually you'd probably rather hear it from the CEO. So here's mm-hmm. an intro, talk to them. I think those are some of the better ones. Or you'll hear from other investors say, hey, actually, five years ago, Searcher almost bought this type of business. It fell apart for this reason. So in diligence, digging on these three things on retention and, you know, the businesses look good, but often you see high employee turnover, et cetera. So I think that's important to try to figure out where, what investors want, what, and what can you use them for? And then I think that the key part is when you're getting close to a deal, there's two parts, kind of closing the deal on the cap table is you're really just trying to get commitments. And so searchers are trying to get everyone on the commitments. And then some you'll find, hey, Maybe the deal is not a good fit for them. Maybe the timing's bad. And so they'll not want to commit. And so you'll go back to your original investor and say, hey, do you want to do more than you're right? And some will, depending. And then you'll want to, f- often there'll be a little bit of a gap. And mm. so you kind of go back to your core. And once again, this is the neat part of the searcher community. Most of the investors know other investors. And so they'll say, hey, talk to Steve, talk to you know X person, talk to George, talk to Y. And so you get intros. And then also, there's probably people you met when you're raising the fund that maybe didn't commit for other reasons. Maybe the timing, this or that. Go back to them. Hopefully, you've kept in touch with them and said, hey, you got a deal live. And that's kind of how a deal comes together. And then there's actually being the board of the company, which is usually there's you know anywhere from two to four people on the board from the, the search community combined with maybe an outside expert in the industry. And then that is run kind of like a professional board. There's a, you know, whatever, three to four person board that's kind of helping you run the company. And then there's, you know, the classic investor updates, et cetera. Mm. So it's really important then that the searcher thinks about that group as there's a need for them to conduct the orchestra in, in a sense and make sure that they've got people coming in and out as, as required and they're satisfying the needs of that audience, I guess, is pretty important in yeah, a pretty deliberate sense. Yeah, and you'll find folks that, I think good folks have different groups of folks, right? So there's, mm. you know, some folks, hey, I want some recent searchers that can give me feedback live. Maybe I want some larger, you know, maybe family office or big funds that have deeper pockets if I find a huge deal. Mm. You know, there's some other folks I want kind of, hey, they've done deals in my space. International Australia, I'd want some local investors, but also I'd want some international investors. And so I think constructing the cap table uh, is important to think through. And although the good, the good news is I think, you know, most of the search fund investors are are all very you know value additive. So yes. you know you're you're you're, you're going to it's more just kind of custom what's fit for you. It's yeah. not you know it, there's no Fs that are like just terrible bad investors that are trying to elbow. If they were, they would kind of honestly get kind of kicked out of the community. Yeah, and and it's like what we we're saying before. The model itself self selects investors that have an appetite for that kind of involvement. The next thing I wanted to ask about was that operating phase and same question, but other phase. So in that part of the search community that you've been involved with, what do you think is the the key things that jump out when you see searches transition from search to operation? Like what really hits them in the face that they need to be aware of? 
I think the first of all is just, it's just change management. So I think a lot of searchers, myself included, are very kind of maybe data-driven, quantitative, 100-day planned, and you forget this is people, right? So this is a classic, huge change for the employees. They, don't, they, they likely did not see it coming, and they're adjusting to a, a new, new operation rhythm, right? And so I think a big part, they often say in the first, sometimes it's 90 days, sometimes it's longer, kind of do no harm. And I think that's key. I think the, the classic Stephen Covey book of the speed of trust, you know, people need to, to trust you first before they listen to you, right? And so I think that's a big thing that's going to hit the beginning, beginning phase. I think second is just kind of confirming the investment thesis. So this is even on billion dollar PE acquisitions. There's always something you didn't find in the diligence. Sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. So that's the first three to six months is just kind of uncovering, hey, hey, what, what's the true state of the market, the team, the product, et cetera? So I think understanding, like like when you buy a house, you know, you you start living in it and you start saying, Oh, actually, like I really like my backyard better than I thought, or hey, the bathroom, I that toilet needs to be changed, et cetera. And so that's that's a big part kind of getting in the wheel. And then I think starting to build together that that strategic plan with your board of hey, you know, how do we take this company to the next level? And you know, where are the things we need to invest? Because there are often things that you need to invest, and it could be if it's in technology, it could be in the product, it could be in sales, it could be in other areas. And sometimes those don't you know pay off in the first three months. It might be a year later. So getting the board's agreement of where to invest. And and starting to to build that operational cadence with your team of often these things have been family run or bootstrapped and there's not that kind of uh, faster pace metrics driven growth and so kind of picking up the cadence the speed uh, like a tree, treadmill and getting everyone along slowly to kind of get the battle rhythm going faster. No, fantastic, and and I think that ultimately what what is a common thread through all of those pieces of advice is that patience. You know, knowing that regardless of how much you thought you learned during the due diligence phase, you'll still need a period of time where you can just kind of soak in the business and learn the people, learn the processes, find all those little things that you were never going to find in due diligence, and then like make a plan in a considered way. Yeah, exactly. It, it's a, it's a, and that's the art is I think the the skill set. I think the best searchers have high EQ of like kind of getting in a new situation, stabilizing. And so you need to have patience, but you have to also have urgency too. It's a word complimentary thing, right? You have to have the patience to build trust. But you know, if you, if you if you're too patient and moving too slow, it's going to kind of run at the same pace, right? You're, you're here to make a better business, uh, more run generally, like at greater scale. So you get also have to bring that drive to the business over time. It's like that that answer to so many questions is: Should I be patient or urgent? We well, have to be both. It's like yeah. <laughs> how, how and, do I and have to re- do A or B? You got to do both. Like that's just this constant balance yeah. between both of everything, right? Yeah, and you need to, and you need to read the tea leaves, right? Like maybe the sales team they're fired up. There's a great sales leader. Always wanted to hire two new sales reps, ready to go. Give them two sales reps, you know. Or maybe there's uh, you know, but in product, you know, there, there's a huge backlog. They're drowning. They've just lost two engineers. Like. You can't add, build 10 more features. You have to go and stabilize the team, get gain confidence, help them prioritize before you kind of go faster. And so my final question to, to kind of wrap things up, obviously in Australia here where we're making some great progress with search as a model, we've had a couple of good successes in the last few months, either, even with kind of search phases getting to operational phase through acquisitions. And I know of at least a handful of new searches that will come to market in the next six months. So we're really excited about that. 
awesome. um, as a growing market. What would be your tips? You know, if you're in a situation where you're sitting in what is a relatively immature or, or new or growing market for search, whether it be for the investors or the searchers or even the advisors around the space, what's your tip for a new market to make sure that we're growing in the right space and kind of we're keeping focused on the right things? A great question. I mean, I think you're doing a lot, of, a lot of the right things. So, I mean, half of it is bringing the community together and it's a team sport, as we said earlier. So, I think, you know, the podcast, the investors, the the searchers, et cetera, I think we all win together. And that, as it as it grows, it grows. So, I think just making sure, hey, you know, a couple of these great acquisitions lately, if you know great talent, help them win. If you know great customers, help them win. If you know great searchers coming, help them win. If you know investors that are trying to raise search capital, search fund of funds and you know a great family office connect them so i would just focus on that how do we grow the team sport i think there's a lot of folks internationally that want to help you know i love investing internationally you know a lot of other investors too so you know say bring folks along i think bring searchers along too that that want to do that as well maybe they run a business similar in a different sector i would say if i can ever be of help to anyone i'm easy to find on twitter just twitter.com steve wrestler or s wrestler at gmail is my email i have templates and financial models and just loved uh, talking to searchers. So if I can ever help in the journey, uh, just let me know. Happy to help. That's fantastic. No, I appreciate that. And, and and definitely that's where we're spending a lot of time and energy is just trying to build that that community and make sure we're getting all of the pieces of the puzzle kind of growing at the right rate. And it's it's fantastic to have people like you offshore who have had so much experience in it and can kind of help us bring it to the market here because Quite often you'll speak to people and they'll either say, well, that's too good to be true. I can't believe there's a model like that exists. It's never going to work here. Or how could it possibly, you know, be something that gets much traction? And then you say, well, look, there's plenty of people offshore that have done it successfully for a long time. And so bringing those stories onshore here in Australia is fantastic. So thank you very much for your time, Steve. I really appreciate it. It's it's great to get those insights given the breadth of experience you've had in this space and looking forward to staying in touch and maybe even co-investing on a few deals. Yeah, we'd love to do a couple of deals together and never been to Australia. It's on my bucket list. So hopefully yeah. we'll get that. We'll, we'll do a deal together. I'll fly down. And we'll, we'll have a, a search gathering. So thanks Absolutely. again for putting on this podcast and, and contributing to the community. And once again, if I can ever help, just uh, reach out to yourself or anyone in the Australian community. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Steve. Good to chat. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more, please jump onto LinkedIn and find the group Search and ETA Australasia. You can also send me a direct message and I'd be keen to connect.